Please turn with me to Luke chapter 19, 1 through 20. And as you look there, you know, I didn't plan this, but with VBS and these baptisms and all that kind of thing, we're looking at uh, a chap that uh, would be very familiar with church people. And that, and I don't know why I'm doing this thing. Give it up for Steve. He's still got it. (laughs) Is that a little better? That's better. Yes. We know. We don't know. Who knows? So VBS is coming up, and I don't know if there will be a song about this chap, uh, Zacchaeus, being a wee little man, but I assume he'll he'll make a showing. Um, However, what I want you to do this morning as we look at this is sort of put all the things you heard in church or in BBS about Zacchaeus. I'd love for you to put that up on the bookshelf and reimagine this passage maybe for the first time. Uh, To be honest, this has been a passage that has come up uh, time and time again in my own thinking. And, and it's really odd, right? Because Luke, Luke is this, this book of, uh, it's kind of got these episodes, these almost like made for TV movies going on. Like the Good Samaritan, right? That's a famous one, Luke 10. Um, there's all, all kinds of uh, people that we don't often see as the lead role in a movie who show up. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it's a patriarchal society, so the women take the lead role and and, um, and also just these kind of down and outs um, take the lead role in Luke's gospel. And, and Zacchaeus is going to show us some characteristics as to that, that show up in his life where if we, it was just he and us and, and, and God weren't a part of the equation, we probably would have casted him out. We wouldn't have let him into our fellowship. I don't, I don't think I would have. Because some of the things he's done in his life, it's just, it puts him in a category that's completely other. And maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you're someone who comes here and feels that no one would even know, uh, but you don't feel like you belong anywhere. Um, and if that's the case, this, this message, maybe it's going to be hopeful to you. I, I, I wish, I hope that's the, that's the case. And so let's look at Luke 19, 1 through 10 where God does something unpredictable and he reaches an unpredictable person. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. 
But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we ask for your help. You know, just for my own heart that is prone to wander and to be lost, pray that it would be found in this moment and receive the grace that's on offer. And for others as well who need this, praying for them. Soften our hearts to hear this word in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So why go to Luke 19 after we just had a wonderful week of celebrating, well, celebrating, observing Easter, uh, celebrating uh, resurrection life last Sunday. Uh, By the way, thanks for everyone who prepped that week and taught and uh, music and everything was just so uh, helpful for me and my family to engage. And I'm sure many of you. So thank you for the readers and so on. But I wanted us to, to pause for a moment. Uh, sometimes we can take Holy Week or Christmas, uh, some of these things, we package them up, right? And we get through them and it's very meaningful. And, and some of us are, you know, it transforms the way we think. But for many of us, we sort of put it back on the shelf and then go about our Nebraska Midwestern lives, right? Very practical and... <laughs> We do our work and we pay our bills. We take care of our family. Uh, And I just don't want that to be the case with my own heart. It just doesn't last if I be like that, right? Operating on low margin, going from one thing to the next. Uh, I think that can be the case for many of us. In that, I think as I've talked to people, uh, my own family and friends of mine, Some of us feel spiritually sleepy or spiritually stagnant. I think that some of you are not that way, right? This pandemic has been very enlivening and and you've got a new depth of creativity and beauty. Uh, But for many of us, we're kind of spiritually sleeping. We're sort of living a two-dimensional life, having the appearance of this length and breadth of our faith commitment, but it's largely stayed on the surface. It hasn't gone, gone anywhere. Uh, we live our lives without expecting too much surprise, without expecting God to be at work. And I've heard some of you say that, and I've experienced it myself. We all wanna be in the category that reaches new depths where we're not looking for life in our work or in our relationships or in the things we eat and drink. We want something else, a spiritual and life, to be a spiritually alive person is really what we're looking for. And so that's why we come to this passage in Luke and Zacchaeus. Because part of how we get there to be a spiritually alive person is what we 
gleaned from an encounter like Luke 19. Backing up from Easter, zooming in on one episode with Jesus to remind us that God is at work all the time. He's at work all the time, even in my own stagnant heart. Despite appearances. So we meet Zacchaeus, someone who's lived this one dimensional life, not even playing the part of a two dimensional life, but one dimensionally as a love affair with money, resources and what comes with that kind of power, authority, right? Up to this point in Luke, you might have thought that it's the wealthy people and the rulers who are out of the kingdom. Just the way that interactions have have made it look. And that the tax collectors and the sinners are in. And Jesus, that's who he dines with throughout. What happens if someone is all three? A tax collector, a sinner, but wealthy, and a ruler. Well, let's see. Let's see this unfold here. And first we see the context of the encounter. The context of the encounter, verse 1, it starts out, Luke says this, he entered Jericho and was passing through. It's easy to pass over that. He was passing through. (laughs) Jesus is making his final push into Jerusalem where he will go before a judge and be executed. Jericho was about 40 kilometers, they tell me in the, in the books, 40 kilometers away from Jerusalem, and it's down the mountain a ways. Uh, but it's this kind of thriving city. And, and the author wants us to notice something about Jesus, despite what he's about to face. And that is this. He's an unhurried person. He's purposefully unhurried. Yeah, have you ever known anyone like that? A friend of mine, I just learned, he was at the store with his, uh, his kids, and um, they're all going crazy in the store and getting things, and he's just back there just sauntering. <laughs> Doesn't, I mean, but he's very purposeful. He's a purposeful person. Uh, and that's, that's who Luke is portraying Jesus to be, this purposeful person. But he's unhurried. Right, think about it. If you're about to face these things that were foretold of you, that would be in your mind as you're going to Jerusalem, I just want to get it over with, like a day of detasseling. You just get that day over with. Sorry, that was a blast from the past. I was triggered. You just get it over with. You get hell over with, right? That's what he's about to face. And he's just passing through. And he happens to notice a man. And that man happens to... Notice that Jesus is coming along. But then something transformative happens as a result. He goes to Jericho, one of the oldest cities in the area. It's it's one city in which Herod built these palaces. Great, rich agriculture land. It's got this flowing water next to it. And it's a place we're told by historians that was like the fashionable district So people came and flocked to it. It was like this young, sexy city, or old to us, but young at the time, right, that people wanted to be at, the youth, and those who had a lot of resources. And so that makes sense, because if you follow Luke's gospel, you see Jesus meeting all kinds of wealthy people and well-to-do people who have some power and authority. And, and, And he has all these encounters, like Luke 10, 
right, with the great, the good Samaritan. And Luke 18 was another rich ruler uh, just before this one. And now this wealthy tax collector. This context kind of matters. A well-established city ruled by the Greco-Roman government, known for economy, its robust economy. And, and now here comes this man, this God-man, but this man, right? Who's what? He's blue-collar. Not even blue-collar. Uh, he was a carpenter, and now he's this itinerant preacher guy, holy man. But he's homeless. He's got no home. And I love it because he's speaking into this unpredictable place. Uh, he would be long, in my mind, in the crowds that were not well off because he's home. he gets it. He understands. And I think that's important, too, for that kind of group and gathering to know that you have someone who understands but he comes to this place and he's unimpressed by how flourishing it is or by money or by the standards of success of the day. Because what does he care about ultimately? He cares about the soul. He cares about the heart. He cares about relationship. That's what he cares about. Whether you have money or you don't have money. He wants you. And that's what Luke is showing us Jesus to be doing. He's singling out someone. He's speaking into any and every context he's around. He's showing the people that there are things that are far better, that outweigh any of the resources that you have or don't have. What is that? It's to know God. It's to belong to him. God is at work in unpredictable places with unpredictable people. Do you believe that he's at work in your context, in your work, in your neighborhood, in your home, at your school? You know, I drive my kids uh, to school many of the days of the week, and I'm going back, and I see this this person, this student, who, by the standards of today's Instagram society, um, may not be considered, like, the most popular or you know, set up to be the most popular person and just got her headphones on. And, and at first I'm like, you know, my arrogant side of me is like, gosh, I just kind of pity that person. I want to be their friend so they can be cool again or something. Um, then one day I'm driving by, it's the same person just walking. She's always late to school. And I can imagine the conversations with her parents, like, come on, probably wake her up two hours early. Um, Maybe that's just my conversations I have in my own home. But. So, but I'm thinking, I see her one day, and she's just listening and just huge smile and singing, unhurried disposition to school, probably because it's hard, right? And part of it, she's still smiling and celebrating. And I just think that that's got to be God at work whether she knows it or not. But at least she was speaking to my own heart and preaching to me. Like, what am I doing, man? Where am I heading? What performance treadmill am I on? I think this can be complex. What Luke is inviting us to do is to pay attention, to take unhurried time, to look. He uses the word look several times in these verses. It says look in verse two. Zacchaeus uses it again, look. Uh, Another word is behold. So there's an active looking going on. I think we all need to preach this to ourselves daily. 
And there's tension, right? Especially if you're someone who's in the midst of a lot of pain and suffering. And I, I don't mean to speak lightly upon those wounds, uh, but, but you're still being asked to kind of look and see, right? That's the thing that's going to give you hope in the midst of those circumstances. And if you're someone who's going along and you're just moving through life and things are successful and easy breezy for you, you're still called to stop and pay attention and to notice the person walking down the street, to notice what God is doing in the world. And when, you can, when you're unable to do that, you pray to your own heart in the morning and at noon and in the evening. Lord, help me to see. Then you might see a little bit more meaning in your life as you go about your business, right? You might see things that are transformative, like what we see in this personal encounter with Zacchaeus. And that's the second thing we look into is the content. The context and the content of the encounter in verses four through six Before we get there, you want to turn back a page and notice that he was in Jericho when he met this rich young ruler in chapter 18. There is this strong connection between the two stories, right? They're both rulers. They both have resources, but they've acquired them in vastly different ways. The first man worked the land and saved his wealth, had all these resources. He had a great reputation while Zacchaeus built his wealth by ripping off his own people. He was a Jewish man uh, who was born and, and grew up in the synagogue. And what happened? And now he's overcharging his people in taxes and skip, skimming off the top to make his wealth. And if you see that kind of behavior today, right, it makes you sick to your heart. It makes you want to do something about it or at least say something on Facebook or Twitter, whatever you look at, right? It makes you sick to the stomach, customarily. And so what is going on here? What happens with these two characters? The one who had the respectable reputation and the one who is despised and reviled, considered a rogue, cut off from his people. One walks away sad and lost, Luke 18. And the other one is found. So what's going on here? How is that the case? How can that even be possible? What's the difference? Well, Zacchaeus is seeking is the first thing we see. He's seeking. Now, in one sense, all of us are seeking and we try to find life in all kinds of stuff. But I mean, spiritually, like he's looking. He's actually looking for God. And he might know it a little bit, but he for sure is in this in this verse, verse four. He's heard that Jesus was coming in, and so he runs ahead of the crowd and he climbs a big tree, which may not seem like much. And I know we've made a lot of this action because of the cute children's song, but even that word small in stature could mean that he was young. So that word that we've, that we've translated here in this version is small in stature, but it could mean that he was just youthful. He was young and he made his wealth quickly in life, very successful. So, but, and and then the crowds, what's happening here is the crowds know his reputation and they're blocking him off from being a part of this holy celebration because he cast his lots over here with all the money, uh, with all the people who are greedy, right? He's cast his lots over here. He's no longer a part of us. The crowd blocks him off. 
But he doesn't let that stop him. And he runs ahead of the crowds and he climbs this big sycamore, which is also a big deal because a Jewish male in this society does not run with that rope flapping up. Like we see with the, the prodigal son, the father running after his son. Luke is doing it again with this guy running ahead of the crowd. Just completely absurd and embarrassing for any, respect, for any man of status and power to do that. And he's doing it. He's seeking He's pressing in and he's seeking to find the Lord. The second thing is he's seen. Not only is there seeking going on, and the question is who's seeking whom, right? Lord's passing through. Who's seeking whom? It's the Lord seeking him. But at second, he's seen. Now, the young ruler was also seen. He was told he was married to his money and he, and he just couldn't bear it. He couldn't see it. Zacchaeus is able to somehow see it. Once he is seen, right? Jesus showed Zacchaeus what it's meant to be known by God. And and he knew a lot about God, right? He would have grown up like every other Jewish boy going to synagogue, learning about him, participating in ceremonies until the lure of money and power took him away and he's cut off. And then he comes to the place and he's finally seen in verse five. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Now stay with me here. Here's this man reviled by all of the people, by all of his family and members of this society, of the typical society. He's reviled. And he does one thing. He goes up high. Do you imagine if you're looking up at a man that's ripped your family off and he has the audacity to go up high into a tree? And now he's being seen by everyone. And you would expect Jesus, who is the king of glory, by the way, and the esteemed holy teacher, and the crowds are still on his side right now. They're coming with him, right, to see what's going on next. They appreciate all he's done so far until he starts to say things they don't like and do things they don't like, right? But they're with him so far. And he goes up into this tree, this reviled man, to look down on the king of glory. It's just... It's, it's unbelievable. You would expect, I think the crowds were expecting Jesus to look up and to use some of his calming the sea power to like take him out of the tree, to do something crazy with the tree. But he doesn't do that, right? So gracious of God. So gracious, gracious of Jesus. He looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. He looks into him and he says, come down. And Zacchaeus obeys. Zacchaeus is found, ultimately. Verse 6. He's seeking, he's seen, and he's found. The one who is known to rule becomes a follower of the one who truly rules. Uh, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Verse 6. So he hurried and came down. Yeah, Jesus... What you would have thought is that he would have sided with the religious legalists. You know, Zacchaeus, you need to change your behavior. You've been kind of an idiot all these years, created a bunch of muck. Uh, we got to clean it all up, dude. Come on down here. Let's figure that out before you can be a part of our family. You know, uh, that's not what happens. He's a, he's a part of the family. And then things change. 
He's addressed as his, a precious creature, a human. Then things start to change. And that naturally comes flowing from this, rela- this renewed relationship. And I think we sort of get that wrong sometimes. And we look at a person, I know this, because middle school is an interesting time in the life of a person, sorting things out. And not only middle school, but I remember my own college days. Man, I was, I was, uh, I was awesome and terrifying at the same time. You know, hard times sorting things out. If people saw me on my worst days, they would have, they would have kicked me out of their club. Uh, if they would have really known, right? Um, sometimes we judge people first. And, and they have to kind of get right before, before they can be a prized possession or an esteemed member of our family. And that doesn't happen here. That doesn't happen. I mean, Jesus doesn't side with the religious legalists nor does he side with Zacchaeus's irreligious behavior. I mean, Jesus preached about generous living. He lived it. Right? Peace, kindness, humility. These are all things he demonstrated in his life. He didn't agree with Zacchaeus's way of dealing with people. But we are learning here what, and he still accepts him in. What we're learning here about Christianity is this. It's all about spiritually lost people being found and made esteemed members of God's family. It's all about the lost being saved, verse 10. Right? And you can do nothing to deserve it or to lose it when you're a part of his family, no matter how hairy things get. This is especially challenging for people who've been members of a religious society, organization, or church for a long, long time. You know, I heard one preacher talk about the tension here that's going on, saying that we often think of people in one of three categories. On the one hand, are the people that are close to being saved, right? Or are the, are the people who are saved, and they, they play the part of a Christian, and they look great, and they could be great. I mean, I'm not, that's not to say they aren't. It's just that we have a group of people that do all the right things. The, the Bible study, the service, these are great things. They love people. It looks like um, they're the ones who are obviously saved. Then you have the second category of person are kind of the nice people who take their hat off during the national anthem. Uh, they have great morals. They may or may not know Christian or uh, Jesus, but they're very close to being saved. They're the close people because of their niceness or the way they conduct their lives is similar. They just don't know Christ yet. And then you have the third group of people. They're far off far off from receiving grace. And if they were to walk in and you have in mind who that person is, I know you know who that person is. Whoever that crowd is, is that third category of people that you could never imagine being a part of this fellowship or finding God's grace and they're written off. Here's the thing. With God, there is no category. There's not a category. There's only one type of person, a lost person, needing to be saved. God is doing divine seeking, and he finds this unpredictable, unsuspected person in an unpredictable place. And the results happen next, verse 8 through 10. What happens to Zacchaeus? He receives Christ joyfully. Joy, 
Joy is missing <laughs> in, in a lot of our lives. Uh, I love this. He receives him joyfully. Uh, that baptism was so, so much joy involved. Right? Zacchaeus surrenders his life. He aligns his heart with Jesus's. He becomes a servant. And then he goes back and repays anyone he's abused. He becomes generous for the very first time ever. You know, Zacchaeus's joy comes from knowing God of the universe first, but second, releasing power, releasing control over his resources. As he looks at Jesus and as he is received by Jesus, he can hold those things loosely because he knows he's got an inheritance far great of far greater worth. He belongs to the family of God. He's living beyond the grave. And I don't know. I mean, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5 through 8, just what it means to be those who are members. We're going to inherit the earth. Doesn't feel that way. That means a whole lot, right? That creativity is back, beauty is back. And we, we get to actually cultivate that. We should be cultivating that now in anticipation of that time. We inherit the earth far greater worth than anything this earth can offer. There's so much celebration in heaven when one individual becomes spiritually alive. And get this, Jesus, this homeless person, doesn't have a place to throw a party. So he invites himself over. He imposes hospitality upon Zacchaeus. I love it. You can't make this stuff up. Sometimes we miss this in the scriptures. We miss this about God. How much laughter and joy and partying that goes on in all the healthy and right ways. But in the midst of this, there's always grumbling. And that's the second side of this encounter and the results. And in specifically, it says they all grumbled. Like, who the heck is grumbling here? There's always somebody in the, in the group, you know, on a great trip that's grumbling. <laughs> oh, we're going to see these beautiful mountains. <laughs> Grumble. We don't... We don't know who it is exactly. We know it's not just the religious elite. It includes his closest followers who saw him heal Bartimaeus, the blind person, do things like calm the sea and feed the poor. Some amazing tasks that happen. He's, they, they saw him. Uh, they saw the tax collector in a previous verse beat his chest and ask for mercy. They knew, what, the, they knew what, what it took to be a part of heaven, right? What is it? Mercy. God's mercy. That's it. Do you agree? Do you believe that? That's the first step for being found. And maybe you don't think of yourself as being lost. And yet you can, deep, you can sense deep inside a heart full of shame and uncertainty for decisions you've made which have caused damage or have hurt others, or you failed to jump in and save others, help others, and be an advocate, or you hold on tight to your money, or your stuff, or your looks, and your reputation, or what it means to be truly generous, right? Whether you're a Christian or not, I think we all at some level know that we're in a moral universe, and that all of us, to the person, has failed to uphold the standards of moral perfection. Your heart, without God, 
we're told from the Bible, will attach to other things. And we know that's true. What do they attach to? The easy ones, right? Like the money, the power, sex, substance, our reputation. I'm just naming a few of my favorite things, right? It'll attach to other things. We're made to worship, to, to, to surrender to something outside of ourselves. And what we learn in Zacchaeus, those things are temporary. Those things are temporary, will not bring ultimate joy. And here's why Jesus can offer ultimate joy. See, Zacchaeus' life was transformed, but he still committed those crimes against the people. And some of you are saying, hey, are you preacher? Are you Bible folk just going to skip over the fact that he committed these crimes and everything's back to normal? You know, this wee little man is found and it's all good. What about justice? Seems like he's getting away with it, right? He's extorted marginalized people for money. The people have a right to grumble in some ways. Well, it brings us back to Easter. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Your failure to keep the moral law is not unexcused, but is properly placed on the only one who can absorb it fully. And who had the record to be able to bring you to God. The curtain is torn. There's no division now. You're in. That's Easter. That's why this man is saved. That's why he can have joy. That's why he freely gives away. Not to prove himself to Jesus. That comes after. He starts to do that after interacting with Jesus. Jesus had this in mind when he unpredictably stopped in front of Zacchaeus. He didn't care what the crowds thought. What mattered was this dear man would be found and he would risk his life to spare him, to spare his life. Friends, that's your story. If you belong to Christ and he belongs to you. And if not, I want you to think about it. The things that you think are giving you life, are they really doing that? Could it be possible that there's something else out there for you? Maybe even that reconciliation with God would bring you the life that you've been searching for. And then if you have found, have you written someone off? Are you writing someone off right now? that you think would never find the light of the gospel? Is it that greedy family, right, who's a part of behind Big Pharma, who's preying upon the poor with their addictive product? It's right to be angry. Are they too far from God's grace to be found? Who is that notorious sinner that needs the transplant? Here's the thing. It's you. You're a part of the crowd. I'm a part of the crowd. It's me. We need the transplant. And you need to know that. The degree to which you start to know that, and that sinks in, is the degree to which you'll actually share and demonstrate extravagant love. And friends, this is the gospel, according to Zacchaeus. This, this man who was written off is found. 
And that should give us great hope, especially if you're someone who thinks you've been written off or should be written off. You belong. Now, in God's economy, you belong. That's good news for us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. I pray that we would be those people who would stop, pay attention, and that that paying attention, observing, would, would cause us to seek, to see, 